If you have a Bible, if I could ask you, we're going to basically be in two places. So if you want to turn to Romans 8 right now, um, that's page 944 if you're using the, the Pew Bible, and then we'll be in Hebrews 10 a little bit later. Jokingly, at least I think it's jokingly, uh, Carrie, my wife, uh, has called me a freak of nature. Now, the reason for that is it seems I have this ability to remember trivial details on odd dates that no one else would really ever care about, but I remember those things, which sometimes makes me very infuriating to her. So, let me just give you an example of one of those memories. Thirty-five years ago today, I completed my final exam at William Aberhart High School. It was my biology exam. I completed it, and I walked out the door, and I had become a high school graduate. Now, that's sort of important to me, but it really does it really anybody care what I did 35 years ago today? And some of you are thinking, I don't know what I did 35 minutes ago, yet alone 35 years ago. So I get that. And I'm not here to just be a freak of nature this morning. That's not the purpose. Really, I tell you that story because when I walked out of the high school, it's kind of like, now what? Like, I've completed that part of life, but now what? That now what question is not an insignificant thing we face in a lot of ways. In fact, I would say there's a lot of things that can happen to us in life that kind of set us up for the now what. So a much more significant life event that pertains to more of us in the room than my high school graduation is when you trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior, it kind of creates a now what moment. I've trusted Jesus, now what? Now, last week what we did is, is Bill Sauter very helpfully kind of led us to kind of think about how can we be a part of encouraging other people to follow Jesus, for other people to trust the Lord Jesus as their Savior, in essence, to create a now what moment in their lives. Bill said, hey, if we're going to help people follow Jesus, follow Jesus, we need to be people who are praying. We need to be people who are focused on Jesus. We need to be people who clearly understand God's love for us. We also need to be people who who look at other people, who see people the way Jesus sees people. We also need to be people who are communicating the hope we have in Jesus, both in how we live and in what we say. And we also can encourage other people to follow Jesus through simply having a posture towards people of gentleness and respect. And we pray as we do that, that as we tell other people about Jesus in that context, that we're going to see people reconciled to the Lord Jesus. We're going to see people go from being on the fence about where do they stand with things to to truly trusting Christ. But please understand, when that happens, that brings into their life, into the lives of other people. Now what? You trust Jesus, now what? What happens now? Now here's one of the things that I think is true kind of you could even say universally across the spectrum of most people. We struggle a lot of times with that now what question. I mean, this happens in now what? I mean, it's a very silly example, but Carrie and McKellie are in Haiti. So I woke up on Saturday morning and it's like, well, now what? You know, I mean, now what? Here's the thing, God does not struggle with those kinds of issues. God doesn't struggle with the now what. 
That's in part why I wanted you to turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look just at two verses, really, we're going to read two verses, but zoom in on one. Because God's kind of told us, hey, I've got the now what of your life figured out. I've kind of got this big plan. So Romans chapter 28, or Romans chapter 28, Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30 read this way. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that they might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, to answer that now what question, there's a whole lot more there. We've done Romans 8 before. We'll probably do it again. But I just want you to zoom in on that second part of verse 29. What is the answer to the now what question? Well, the now what question, what God wants to do in your life and in my life, once we've been reconciled to Him, once we've turned from sin to God and trusted Christ, God says, hey, I want to do this work in your life where you become like the Lord Jesus. You're conformed to the image of the Son. You become like the Lord Jesus in your character and in your convictions and in your conduct. That's what He wants for you. Now, here's a good question. What does that look like? What does it look like for you and me right now to be in this process of being conformed to the image of Christ? Well, very quickly, I want to offer you sort of four descriptors of what I think the New Testament would describe. Here's what it looks like to become like the Lord Jesus. Okay, so descriptor number one would be this. He wants us to be mature. Now, when you and I hear the word mature, sometimes that can set off things like, well, that means I'm going to be old. Or that means... I'm going to be boring. I'm not going to be fun. Yeah, exactly. I'd get sixth graders saying, you got it right. But you know what? The word mature there, what really is intended, the idea of teleos there quite literally is whole or complete. That's what the Bible says. When the Bible says mature, it's not talking about being old. It's talking about being whole and complete. You see, the Bible understands, God understands, that because of the sin you and I do and the sin that's been done to us, we're damaged. There's a problem here. And so God says, part of this process I'm going to take you through is I want to step into your life. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit literally into your life to do a renewing work in you so that you become whole and complete. So us becoming like Jesus, in a sense, is us becoming what God created us to be without the damage. Now, He knows we come with damage, and He's not bothered by that. But He works in us so that we're whole and complete. That's one descriptor. Second descriptor of us, what are we supposed to be to be like Jesus, is we're to be holy. Okay? 2 Timothy 1.9 tells us that when we're called to Jesus, we're called to a holy calling. God is saying, look, I want you to enter into a relationship with me. I'm going to reconcile you to me. And that means you're going to be holy. Now, when I was a kid, I'll be honest, I thought being holy, I, I figured, I mean, it's an overstatement, but I thought people that were holy walked around like this, holding their hands, and they probably wore clothes of certain colors. And to be honest, I thought they looked like they sucked lemons. But can I just ask you to consider who is the most holy person that ever walked on the earth? And Pat Walding said in the adult class at 9 a.m. that I always say that the right answer in church is either God or Jesus. God hasn't walked on earth as God the Father, but God the Son, the Lord Jesus, has. 
we're being called to become like Jesus, to be holy like Jesus. Okay, so what's my character to look like? What am I to look like? Well, I'm in part to look like mature. I'm in part to look like holy. What about my conduct? What am I supposed to do? Well, scripture number three, what else is to describe us? We are to be ambassadors. I want you to think for a second about all that Jesus did or what he was sort of told to do. He was sent by his Father. So the Lord Jesus was sent by God the Father in part to tell people about the kingdom of God. Now, in telling people about the kingdom of God, it's this amazing thing. And it's like, wow, look at the kingdom of God. The problem is, how do I become a part of the kingdom of God? Well, the other, another part, a huge part of Jesus' mission was literally to go to the cross and to die in our place for our sins and to rise again to make it possible so that we could become kingdom citizens. We could become citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, you and I, to be honest, we're never going to be hung on a cross to die for anybody's sins. But God is telling us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, that we literally are called to be ambassadors of the, King of, God, of the kingdom of God. We are called to tell other people about the Lord Jesus. Part of us being like Jesus is literally being like He was on earth, telling people about the kingdom of God. That's supposed to be a part of what we are. If you've been reconciled to God, you are an ambassador. The scripture number four. Fourth way to describe this is we are to be disciples making disciples. Okay, we are to be disciples making disciples. Now, think about what Jesus did when he walked on earth. One of the things we looked at very briefly two weeks ago was an early story in the book of Matthew where Jesus went to Peter and Andrew and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Basically, what he said to them, he was saying, come and be my disciple. Come and be my follower. And as you follow me, I'm going to do things in your life. You're going to become a fisher of men. You're going to then go out and reach other people, and you're going to disciple them. Folks, you say, what is the now what of my life? Part of the now what of what my life is supposed to be if I'm reconciled to God is I am to be a disciple who's making other disciples. Okay, that's a huge part of what does it look like. So you say, what is God's now what? Well, I'm to be like Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Well, it means I'm going to be whole. It means I'm going to be holy. It also means I'm going to be an ambassador. It also means I'm going to be a discipler. I'm going to help other people follow Jesus. Well, how does that picture, those descriptors, become true of us? How does that happen? Now, I want to hit a pause button here just for a second. It's an imaginary pause button right here. Okay, so I just want to hit it. We are going to answer that question, but I want to hit a pause button just for a moment, a couple of moments maybe. Because I think we need to ask another question or think about another thing. I think we need to think about the reality of our lives. That's what we want to be. But let's talk about our reality. Now, to talk about our reality, maybe one of the best places to start is to simply make a simple observation. You and I are going to have struggles. We have had and we will have struggles, and we're going to struggle with different issues as we go through life. And the truth of the matter is, as you go through sort of different stages or ages or seasons of life, you're going to face some struggles in this stage of life and then you're going to move on to a new stage of life and some of those will go away, but then you've got some new ones. 
And then you kind of deal with some of those and you move on to the next stage of life and then you've got some new ones. We're all going to have them. A podcast I listened to about 10 or 12 days ago kind of unpacked this for me a little bit, gave me some handles, so to speak. Uh, So let's think about, some of you are really going to like this. You're going to be the young group, okay? So we're going to say in the early stages of life, and by early, what they said was 35 and under. So some of you are looking a lot younger than you used to just a moment ago. But really, in those first earlier years of our lives, we do struggle with some things. There's some unique things that come with that. We can struggle with restlessness, okay? We can struggle in that stage of life with wanderlust. One of the things I've been doing, partly because two of my sons changed their majors like six times during college, is when our students come home, the freshmen come home, I try to ask them, so what's your major now? Do you know why those things happen? Because we struggle. We've got this wonderlust inside us. I mean, there's a lot of issues there. We struggle with that. That's a part of life. In those earlier years, often we'll have struggles related to sexuality. Those don't always go away, but that's a part of that time. We also struggle with a sense of freedom and autonomy. We, we kind of want to leave home, but, well, that means mom's not going to be making my meals anymore. I mean, that's a struggle. Those are things we go through. In a lot of ways, we struggle with things in the early stage of life because we're trying to figure out how to come life come together and who we are. Okay, this is the big section of life, probably where we'll spend most of our years, probably 35 to 75, maybe 80. We're going to struggle with different issues. Some of those will carry over, but some are going to be new. We're going to struggle with things like disappointment, frustration, and resentment. Why? Because when I was 20, I had life totally figured out, and it was going to look like this. And I'm 50, and it looks absolutely nothing like it. And that can be really, really hard. Also, the fact we can be tired. We had all kinds of energy when we were 17, But as we get closer and closer to 71, it's like, I can't do this. Those make unique challenges. Those create unique struggles. We can also kind of get in the struggle and that life's just kind of boring. We can struggle with boredom because our life just seems to go around these responsibilities and duties. I've I've joked with Carrie before, when all our kids were home, I was pretty sure my life was loading the dishwasher and unloading the dishwasher. That can get kind of boring, and that can create some challenges for us, some struggles. Then there's another stage. We kind of get older. Maybe we're over 80, let's say. And I, with that aging process comes a new struggle. And that is, quite honestly, how do we face the end that's inevitably coming? Now, I'm not trying to be morbid, But death is knocking at every single one of our doors. And as we get older, there's a moment that door's going to open to death. How do you and I approach that with grace? How do we do that? Those are struggles we're all going to face. Let me unhit the pause button. Let me reframe the question. 
How do these descriptors of us becoming more like Jesus, how do those become real in our life when we've got these struggles? How does that happen? Well, I actually still have about 18 minutes left of time, roughly. But if you listen to the next 10 seconds, you could leave and probably have the whole idea of the sermon. So I'm going to find out how many of you are going to leave. Here it is. How do we do this? We must encourage each other to follow Jesus. That's simply what we're going to say today. We must encourage each other to follow Jesus. Now, part of that is we need to encourage people to trust Jesus. We've got to share the gospel, yes. But then, once we get to that now what stage, we've got to help people, help each other keep following Jesus. And if you're going to hang around, what we want to do the next moments we have is we want to look at Hebrews chapter 10. Okay, we're going to look at verses 19 to 25 because it'll kind of give us four answers to the question of how do we do this? So if you're using one of those pew Bibles, you can turn to page 1007, but we want to look at sort of four answers. How do we do this? Okay, answer number one. How do we encourage each other to follow Jesus? We do it by reminding each other of the gospel. Okay, we need to remind each other of the gospel. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 21 read, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Okay, the first part of Hebrews chapter 10 is talking literally about the gospel, of what Jesus did on the cross. And in verse 19, it's kind of the word therefore says, hey, I've closed that off, but now I want to apply it. Now I want to tell you what the impact is of Jesus dying on the cross for our lives. And the writer of Hebrews, because he's writing to people of Jewish descent, he kind of uses the imagery of the temple to kind of share that message. In essence, he's saying, here's what the gospel makes possible. Before Jesus, we were separated from God. We were almost, in a sense, denied access to God because he was in the Holy of Holies and we couldn't get there. But here's the amazing thing. Because of what Jesus did, he has made it possible for us to boldly go where we could have never gone before. He's made the way possible. And part of what we also need to understand is Jesus is also the high priest. Back in the old temple, it would have been the temple authorities, the, the Levites and the priests who would have stopped you if you tried to go to God's presence. Now, do you know what Jesus is doing? He's saying, come on! Come! Let's go in here! It's for you! One of the things you and I are going to need to remind each other of probably repeatedly if we're going to follow Jesus is that if you trust Christ, you literally have a now what? And that now what is partly you can live in the presence of God. We need to be reminded of that. God is not oblivious to us. God doesn't ignore us. God invites us literally to live in His presence. Now, in some ways, grammatically speaking, verses 19 to 21 are really just setting up the next three answers because they're all going to start the exact same way. 
So answer number two, how else? If I'm reminding each other of the gospel, here's this truth, here's what's made available to me, how do I live with that? Well, part of it is answer number two is we need to help each other draw near. Okay, Jesus, the gospel makes it possible for me to enter into God's presence. So what do I need to do? I need to draw near. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Kind of looking at the end of the verse and moving more towards the the beginning of it, here's the amazing thing. Instead of me being dirty and damaged and contaminated because of my sin, when we trust Christ, all of us, we are made clean. We're given in that sense true hearts earlier in the verse. And really a true heart means I can be committed to God. I don't have a divided heart anymore of pursuing other things. I have a true heart. I can be committed to God. And through faith, I now have full access to God. Please understand, the writer of Hebrews is telling us we can draw near. But, just because we can draw near doesn't mean we do draw near or it's easy for us to do it. I'm going to guess somebody sitting near you is finding it hard to draw near to God. Maybe it's because of shame. Maybe it's because of guilt. Maybe it's because of fear. Maybe they're struggling drawing near to God simply because for so long they thought life is based all on performance and they're looking at, I haven't done enough that I could go into God's presence. Or maybe they're struggling to draw near to God because their life experience has made things like trusting very, very hard. I mean, it's pretty hard to draw near to God when your life experience has kind of said, don't trust But yet, if you and I are going to become those descriptors, if we're going to come like Jesus, we need to draw near. Which means you and I need to help each other draw near. We have to. We need to help each other with our shame and our guilt and our fear and our performance and our challenges of trust. Well, practically, what does that mean? Well, practically what I think it means is that you and I are probably going to need to deepen our conversations with each other. Instead of just talking about the weather or our vacation plans or whatever the news cycle is bombarding us with, maybe we need to talk about our souls. Maybe we need to kind of open up about why we struggle to draw near. Or maybe to talk about here's how the gospel and my grasp of the gospel is helping me draw near at least a little bit more. Now, please, I am not saying that before you leave this morning you have to have that conversation with every other person in the room. I am not saying that. But I am saying as you look at your calendar and you're thinking about the fall, I want to ask you, I want to encourage you to say where in your life can you make time to be in a small group, to be able to meet with some people and to be able to have those conversations to say, here's where my soul is at. 
Here's where I'm struggling to draw near because, folks, we need to help each other draw near. God has made it available. Jesus has made it possible. We need to draw near to God. You and I cannot function at a distance to God. And He has removed the distance. Let's help each other take those steps. Answer number three, how else, what else needs to happen? And this isn't pick and choose. We need all of these. But the third answer would be this. We need to help each other hold fast. We're going to need to help each other in the midst of the tension between the descriptors in a sense and our struggles. We need to help each other hold fast to Jesus. Verse 23 continues, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Now you ask the question, why do we need to hold fast? Well, the truth is life can be kind of bumpy. And when life is bumpy, that can make some of those struggles for, that we have bigger and stronger in a sense. And when those struggles are bigger or stronger, what happens? We tend to then be tempted. We tend to want to go to places and do things and be a part of things and be engaged in things that seem right in the moment, but actually can do damage to our souls. To help us see that, I just want to read a couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, to help us realize this is a big deal. Holding fast is not insignificant. Verse 12 says, Take care, brothers. And you could say brothers and sisters there. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you from falling away from the living God. You say, how can I have an unbelieving heart? How can I be evil? Verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Folks, if we play with our struggles and we don't know how to deal with those, they can do damage to us that is huge. So how should I respond? Well, I probably need to be reminded of the gospel because what does verse 14 begin to say? For we have come to share in Christ. Oh yeah, I belong to Jesus. Well, how do I experience that? How do I know that? Well, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, if I'm really holding on to Jesus, I need to hold on to Him. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, really verse 23 is commanding us, hey, hold fast to the confession of your hope. Hold fast to Him. See, in the present struggles of our life, when these things start to crop up, I've got to hold on to Jesus. I've got to hold on to the hope I have, the hope of the resurrection, the hope of His return. One of our sons is on his second business trip to China. And, and when he went the first time, he was telling me um, he was in the city whose name I cannot pronounce, um, but he was there for five days before he had any idea that there were mountains like right there. Our present circumstances, our struggles, like the smog of China, can distort what we see to where we don't see it. We need help 
to be able to see what is hidden from us. We need help to know we have hope. We need to come alongside each other and in that sense, remind each other of the Gospel. Remind each other of the hope we have. Now practically, some of what that means is when we, you or me, is struggling in a sense with these things that are overwhelming me, the struggle maybe of of boredom or, or wanderlust, whatever it is, we need to come alongside each other. Not in a way that says, you idiot! At least, that's probably not the best opening line. You may need to say that, but that's not where you start. You probably need to come alongside and say to the person who literally is drowning in this stuff, hey, remember the Gospel. Remember the good news. And here's a life raft. Here's one of those life-saving rings that literally says Jesus saves and let me help you get back on the boat. We need to help each other hold fast. You say, well, why do we do that? Why do we think that? Well, see, we can hold fast because what does verse 23 say? The one who promised is faithful. I can struggle, yes, but God is faithful. And I need that and you need that. One of the reasons why we have a class at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings during the summer and have a few classes during the school year is in part to remind us again and again about the character of God, about who He is. So we realize, you know, He wants to rescue us. It's hard to hold fast, which is why we need to help each other literally today to hold fast. Fourth answer to the question. In some ways, the the first, second, and third answers are are talking about me, how I'm doing. But the fourth answer is if I'm going to become like Jesus, some things need to come out of me. So the fourth answer is this. Help each other serve. We need to help each other serve. Verse 24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Part of following Jesus, quite literally, is us doing good works that He prepared in advance for us to do, according to Ephesians 2.10. When, when we invite somebody to trust Christ, when you respond and you trust Christ, you're really literally being called to a life of service, a life of engaging and doing things. But here's the challenge that I think is true for all of us, whether you're in the young group, in the middle group, or you're in the old group. I don't care what age you are. I know from personal experience every age I have been and what I've noticed in people older than me and ages they are, every single one of us, it is really easy to be selfish. It's really easy to be self-centered. Part of the reason I know that is because the word that's translated stir one another up Literally, if you were looking for a, this would be probably a ranching analogy. This would be the spurs that a cowboy would wear. And you are to take those spurs and you are to stick it in the person you're trying to provoke to good works. That's kind of a serious thing. But I've kind of realized if you need a spur on something, That probably says the animal's not quite getting it. 
Now, if some of you start throwing spurs at me, I'm going to be a little nervous, but get the point. We've got to do this. We've got to help each other serve. Now, some of that could be we need to help each other find that ideal place of service for us. We do. But some of it, quite literally, is we just need to serve, folks. We just need to be willing to serve because God's calling us. And if I'm going to become like Jesus, I'm going to serve. I mean, do you think Jesus had the spiritual gift of washing the disciples' feet? Or was that something simply that he did? I've never seen anywhere in the Bible where it says there's a spiritual gift of washing feet. But we are commanded by Jesus to go and do the same. Let me land the plane, so to speak. The writer of Hebrews is going to make a pretty significant shift in verse 26. And he's going to deliver a pretty significant warning passage. But before he gets there, he kind of says, hey, I've got sort of one more insight. It's kind of packaged together in a few things in verse 25. He simply says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's really an obvious statement, right? If you're going to encourage people to follow Jesus, you kind of need to be in proximity. You need to be together. What's also probably really obvious from verse 25 is literally from the early days of the church, there were already people finding ways to kind of not be with followers of Jesus. And let me be very clear, that's not a good thing. You say, well, why is that not a good thing? Are you just one of those pastors who wants to have higher attendance every week? Well, yeah, there may be a little idol in my life that way. Okay, so let's disclose that. But that's not the point. The point of the why is every single one of us needs encouragement. Is there anyone in this room who is over-encouraged? We all need it. And you know what I found? Being alone for like 24 hours so far. Me looking in the mirror saying, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Really doesn't work. And my dog doesn't help. He just looks at me like, what are you doing? Give me a treat. We need to be encouraged. And that will only happen if we're together. And get this. It is an urgent reality. Do you hear that? It's an urgent reality. All the more as you see the day approaching. You and I can kind of live oblivious like, yeah, whatever. We don't know exactly when Jesus is coming. But He is coming. And this verse tells me as we get closer and closer to that, what do I need more and more? Encouragement. I don't need less encouragement. I need more encouragement. And it's not just me. It is you too. We need to encourage people to trust Christ. We do. I pray we see a whole lot more roses up here. But those roses simply then move us to the now what? And the now what is we need to encourage each other to follow Jesus. We need to become like Jesus. We need to encourage others to become like Jesus, to follow Jesus. 
You know what? The now what of God is in one hand, it's a great gift. I mean, by his transforming grace in our lives, we can become what he created us to be. We can be whole. But our now what is also a huge mission for us. A a mission that we must complete for the good of others, but also ultimately for the glory of God. But please understand, our time to do that is limited. We can't say, I'll get around to that someday. We need to get around to it right now. We must encourage each other to follow Jesus. It is for our good. Ultimately, it is for the glory of God. And folks, there's going to be a time when you and I are going to stand before Christ, before the judgment seat, and He is going to ask, what did you do with the now what? I pray the answer we give is I was trying faithfully, empowered by your Spirit, to do the now what? He's calling us to do it. May we literally go from here and do it. Would you pray with me?